Let's ask the Lord to bless it. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for your word, your wisdom, your world. We'd ask that we would become the kind of Christians you want to have before you in serving your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen. They are right at the top of the page, Colossians 3 something, 18. Wives, this is not as heavy as Ephesians 5. People don't tend to turn to Colossians 3 and look knowingly at their partner and say, Honey, Colossians 3. Whereas we do all the time go, Honey, Ephesians 5. And they hit us with a small appliance at that point. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, that's just so wrong on so many levels. Who does St. Paul think he is? One. Besides an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Besides being someone who shaped the civilized world 2,000 years ago by his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as you go into these personal instructions, now, admittedly, you know, I feel for the ladies. There are bastards out there. Husbands that are just hell on wheels. So let's not talk about specialty circumstances. My wife and I are, are writing a book on marriage. And I say in the foreword somewhere, or maybe in some sort of note at the beginning of the book, this is not a book about all the problems that people face in marriage. It's not a book about abuse or about what do you do when X happens. It's about normal. Normal disobedience and normal answers. What is um, laid out as the pattern that normal should find. Because there's going to be things in your mind. You know, I've, I've mentioned it many times before, the, the temptation for Christians to say, but what if this? You know, some standard company. Well, what if this happens, though? Okay, all right. So it's a, there are outlier questions. There are things that you say, you mean, what if he, you know, is a Nazi? Wise, be subject to your husbands. You mean I have to become a Nazi, too? Okay, don't keep coming up with weirdnesses. Say, how am I, in my normal life, going to be this kind of normal? Because it is a matter of appropriateness. Look at the second line in that. As is fitting in the Lord. It's appropriate. Generally speaking, you might have exceptions. You need to make your case for those exceptions. You need to live with your decisions about how you view the scriptures. I'm not going to make them for you. The church is not going to make them for you. But I want you to know that as you look at the passage of scripture, too often we don't read into this or, or walk through this uh, uh, circumstance um, with the context of the book in hand. I want you to know that last week in Colossians 3, 
Starting with verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, no one, as I recall, stood up and stormed out of church when I read through that. Last week, or just now. Because that's really nice. Peace, thankfulness, wisdom, singing, thankfulness again. In each verse, I don't know if you noticed it, each verse, and be thankful, with thankfulness, giving thanks to God. You're supposed to be, you know, kind of uh, uh, one of those eager pets that people have when they buy pets and they, they, they're getting their first dog food or whatever it is. Just jumping all over themselves. Somebody's been posting, and I don't know who these people are, but they seem to have a thing for goats, small goats, and so videos of goats leaping about someone's living room on the couch is somehow adorable to some people. We look at those passages I just read in verses 15 through 17, and go, oh, that's just, that is, that's the Christian life I, I really want. Christ, peace, ruling in my heart. Word of Christ dwelling in me richly. Oh, damn it. The next verse. The next verse. St. Paul says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Weren't you just thanking God a second ago, rejoicing, singing, singing, you know, on the way home from church today, making the wife making up a little song, a little positive song of how, what a joy it is to submit herself to her husband, be subject to her husband. What an absolute joy. I hope you'll write them down, share them with us next, next Sunday. Now, that obviously this is sort of facetious. But I do know, I live in a world, I'm not blind, I know what, what the world is doing with concepts like this. this the, the very fact that someone, and maybe someone here this morning, has a real beef with me about this. You can't deny that it says it. So you have a beef with Evan and St. Paul. Now, what we go to is, I agree, you can have a different opinion about this. Live long and prosper. Um, just see how your life works out. Um, do it your way. Uh, I'm not in charge of you. Uh, whatever you think you're up to, think you've got worked out, that's smarter than God, go ahead. Because this claims to be fitting for those who claim Jesus Christ. And as the world changes, we also, earlier in the book, see to it, this chapter 2, that no one makes prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. It just told you, wives, subject yourself to your husbands as is fitting. That's according to Christ. As is fitting in the Lord. Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of loot lying about on the ground that Christendom has provided. Uh, a lot of colleges, a lot of really great buildings, um, a lot of power positions, and nobody, nobody wants to give those up. Everyone wants a religion, and they don't want to start fresh. They don't want to say, I believe in a God named, and make up a name, and in that, in that God has a complete conformity to whatever trend of thought is going on in your culture right now. Say he's a completely processed God. So, oh, I didn't know the Me Too movement was going on, and let's be really sensitive about that. Yeah, have a religion. We say, but I, see, Evan, you don't understand. We want to own your buildings. They want to own all of the blue sky, all of the, all of the stuff. And I, I, believe me, I'm not a defender of Christendom. I think it's a, you know, a disobedience against the living God for the most part. But they did provide a lot of buildings. And they did provide a lot of, you know, political position. People want their, they want to be able to call their religion Christianity. You ever talk to cults, uh, J-dubs or LDS people? The LDS are probably the most. They really want, oh, we're Christians too. No, you're not. You don't even pretend to be Christians, except at my front door. Everyone wants to get on board. Everyone wants Jesus in their camp. You get the most liberal pro-abortion post online, and it's got Jesus written all over. Oh, you got to help the poor. And if you don't help the poor, we got to kill the babies. Who made you in charge of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is in charge of Jesus Christ. We have to watch that we are not trying to, for whatever reason, have our cake and eat it too. That I want the, all the bona fides of 2,000 years of Christendom and really modern ideas. Now I want you to know that this passage, it doesn't go on past wives. Be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It actually addresses pretty much every authority relationship on the planet. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Now, it doesn't just please mom. It pleases God. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something as you go through any passage. You've got to be able to analyze what's going on. You notice, and here's an authority thing. It goes on to talk about masters as well. Um, these are the governments of life. Now, in the governments of life, the Bible is realistic. There are some people in charge, and there are some people not. Let me account for those 
on the page here. Husbands are in charge, fathers are in charge, masters are in charge. Okay? Those who are not in charge, wives, children, slaves. Okay? Now you notice with the wives, children, and slaves, it has be subject, obey, obey. With husbands, parents or fathers, and masters, it's an instruction of how you rule. It is natural that the person in charge has got a duty on them not to mutually, the, the, the master is not supposed to say, ah, slave number two, what do you want me to do this morning? It's not this exchange of negotiated service. Master says, you're washing the car, slave number two, and slave number one, you're going to the grocery store, and you're going to pick up some green onions. He doesn't say, and I'll be doing some things for you later on. No, he says, I I'm in charge. We understand it when we want to be in charge. Parents often very clearly, you know, people who are very, you know, antagonistic to any authority over them, it's amazing how conscious they are of the rightness of submission to them when they are in authority. I have asked moms this. I said, how, how, how do you like the obedience from your children? Phrases like instant and joyful is um, what is generally the response. I don't like, I want it to be really a hard, hard, hard process in which I can barely keep their respect. And if they ever do it, it won't be graciously done. That's what I really want for my children. Ah, do unto others as you would be done by. You're supposed to be subject to your husband as your children are supposed to be subject to you. Give them the same thing. You understand what you want. You understand what ought to be. You understand what's fitting. But you also notice some things, not just between who's submitting and who's ruling, and their instructions are how to rule, and the instructions are how to submit. But you also have, as is fitting, as pleases the Lord as is fear of the Lord as serving the Lord and not men you are serving the Lord Christ you can't escape that this coming out of chapter middle of chapter 3 where he told you that Christ should dwell in you richly remember all of Colossians started with this wonderful panegyric wonderful um, hymn to the greatness of Christ and that's what we're about. We're Christians. We're about the greatness of Christ. We're not about reestablishing some handmaid's tale patriarchy where some quiverful theology of, of which is, again, a, a pretend time. It's a little house on the prairie pretend time. We're here to please Jesus Christ. We're not here to please either the culture of the 1800s or the culture of the 2000s. We're here to please Christ. We're not here to please, just please husbands. Because sometimes husbands are bastards. Sometimes masters are evil. So that's the, um, 
That's the, the nature of it. We've got to get our heads screwed on straight about what we're doing so that I don't feel that I either got to pick up some mimicry of, of the modern. When you, you hear the teaching out of the modern threads, um, and you go, you guys, what are you, in high school? It's that kind of excuse. It's, it's kind of like the, fear, um, the fears we had, remember, Vietnam War and marching out of, walking out in our righteous indignation of our high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan, because of the war, because of the dang war. And we put it, none of us knew anything. We were in high school. None of us. The war was coming to a close. We were in high school. But boy, were we had jockey shorts in a bunch, and we were all about our importance. That's what the you know, the level of thinking is for modern stuff. And people who, you might say, reach back into history and say, no, we really should live more like the Quakers or the Amish or something like that. Um, they get a little bit more scholastic because there's something actually to study. But they're just as wrong. They're not automatically right because it's old-timey. Paul's not arguing, so, you know, keep the old-timey ways of doing things around. No, he says... This is fitting to the Lord. And it doesn't matter when it tells you what the slaves must do. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. See, you know, you don't even seem to understand we're not doing it to make the overlord happy with us. It does do that. We're not doing it for that. We're not doing it as something, if I exchange, you know, instantaneous obedience. The child, the Christian child, is not supposed to be obeying mom about picking up the toys because it'll please mother. Because it'll please their God. We're Christians. Because as soon as we stop to please the mother, or please the husband, or please the master, when they fail to please us, we feel suddenly vindicated or allowed or given a dispensation to not do what they ask because we saw it as a negotiated arrangement. Well, I did this for them. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for your God. Fearing the Lord, whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know how we get, I mean, with the slave situation, he goes into great length about the nature of our subjection, our obedience. Hints at it with, with the wife, as is fitting in the Lord, with the children, for this pleases the Lord. And then he goes to town with the slaves. But you can make the uh, extrapolation. You can understand that, that, I, that, yeah, as soon as I start to see this as a negotiation, not as living in God's world the way your God made it to be, that's what makes it appropriate, fitting, pleasing, fearing him. It'll help you. If you don't like this, it'll help you to say this is not part of 
my view of manhood, you know, the, the toxic masculinity thing. Because again, men are animals. Men you cannot barely be trusted to run the world. The only option, women running it, no, don't even think about that. Just don't even think of that crazy talk. But not because we've done a great job, you know. <laughs> we've, um, wars, constant wars. Yes, because we're men. We have to go kill each other. We're not, we're not a bright bunch. But we're not. God is asking you to live, the wives to live the way he asked them to live. The husbands have got this thing handed to them that says, you know, I've got to be loving to those I, I rule, and I, I cannot be harsh. I mean, which what the most obvious thing for anyone to do in an authority situation. You've seen parents do this, mostly moms, sometimes dads. But when you're in charge, you're in a church that teaches about, you know, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So parents go, well, yes, we're going to have to learn how to raise our kids correctly like Christians. So what do you want, kids? A Coke? No. What do you want now? A Coke? No. A kid could say Coke a thousand times, or candy, or whatever else he wants. And the parent, who is a godly leader of their family, says no every time. Because that's what tyrants, I mean people in authority, do. Because the only way they feel they're in charge is in denial of the interests of the person that they're ruling. Rather than saying, you know there's a category called harsh, called where you're overruling, where you're over uh, authoritying the moment. You want to you add not just your rule, but some cost, some penalty, some hurt to them. Husbands do it all the time. Fathers do it all the time. Fathers, do not provoke your children. I wish in a lot of the patriarchy movements there was more teaching on that verse because my father, who has counseled many people who have come through the, the, you might say, the horror of conservative Christian living, um, fathers never considered this verse. Because so often the kids come to my dad for counsel because they're discouraged, just like the verse says, lest they become discouraged. People thinking that being harsh, being in charge, always means you say no. Or always shows that father really doesn't know this rock band from that rock band. It provokes the children. How can you tell me no when you don't know what you're talking about? Now the child has an instruction. Obey your parents and everything because it pleases God that you do so. It goes back to, I have here on the side, the law of lords. Now the law of lords, let me on, call it the law of lords, like the law of gravity. That's Isaac Newton, you know, gravity. Evan Wilson, law of lords. This is original with uh, me thinking about these things for years. <laughs> it doesn't have to be true, but I want it, it might be a truism for you. A lord is lifted up to make that peace which those that are below must kneel to enjoy.
That's it. Governments are in place. Remember back in verse, uh, the peace of Christ, that the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You've heard me say ad nauseum, peace comes from order, order from governance. And these are the governments that are fitting for the Christian. And the governments were following it because our Christ, who is our God, told us, and if you want the peace that you get to have because of right government, you apply the order and the governance that you're told to apply. You can't enjoy the peace that the Lord of a husband is lifted up or the Lord of a parent is lifted up to provide or the Lord of a master is lifted up. Um, you don't get that peace unless you kneel to it. That's just the way it is, folks. And it's going to be this way long after tattoos aren't popular anymore. Now, when you look at this, because the big battle lines are drawn in our society about husbands and wives, less about children and parents, but you see it with children and parents. I saw an article yesterday on, on oh, you know, really disobedient, hard to control kids. Discipline is not the answer. Oh, yeah, okay. Knock yourself out. Enjoy your posterity. They're, they're applying it. People are trying to apply other rules to other situations. Of course, the slaves and masters things, you fully expected all these instructions. Yes, back in antiquity, and you were a slave. You know, the Christian had to, you know, take on that role that he was somebody's slave, and this is the instructions for that, and it's kind of a tragic thing. And let's, well, let's turn to the next verse where it tells the masters to let them go. It doesn't tell the master to let them go. It says, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It doesn't tell them to let them go, because it's not in the business of making friends with you moderns. Because we've gone through life, we've gone through life thinking human history is on the planet to uh, give everybody a bunny and fair housing prices. So everybody gets the unicorn and the bunny and the fair housing prices. Man, that's really what we want. We all want what we want. Rather than that, rather than something, you know, you know what we want is kind of a problem? Sin is what you want. What you want is not always wrong, but it's because it is always what you want. And we're supposed to look at this because we are told to be finding peace in this, singing hymns of this, thanking God for this. I think this is a big problem in, in people who have been very messed up by the society. You know, the society has promoted certain kinds of depravity. And people wonder, how do you get to Christians, people who come to Christ? We know they did since antiquity come out of various sinful lives. This thanksgiving, being able to look at the description and say, that's fitting, that pleases. I should fear my God about this. I'm serving him. I ought to be ready to be singing hymns to this, about this. Thanking him that it is true and that I'm discovering it's true. 
It tells me in verse 25 of chapter 3, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Paul leans into this. And this sort of, a, I, I, just like I'm thinking the, you might say the attitude of the slave is what all of our attitudes should be when we're in service to others. And all of us are in service to some. That's what it reminds the master, right? Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Everyone. Everyone. My father says, you know, to people occasionally, watch out for any husband, father who has never admitted he was wrong to his children. Too often everybody wants to be in charge, nobody wants anybody to be in charge of them. We all have got to show that we understand by our lives what it is to have a command and control over us. And husbands, if you want your children, if you want your wives, they need to say, there's an example in my husband, there's an example in my father of what it is to serve their Lord. Know that you have a master. You will be treated accordingly. Now, a lot of times, since we're all convinced that husbands are awful and wives struggle with the be subject to the thing, and then it says, "Husbands love your wives." Every woman goes, "Why not? We're all attractive, right? I'm I'm dainty. I'm fragile." I have feelings, and I spend most of my day being attractive. And the man who just married you is going, what fresh hell have I walked into? Because, you know, frankly, you were hiding things. Okay? You know, like those girls who put on too much makeup, and they finally wash their face, and their husband gets a look, oh, hey, you know, what, what Ulta can do. Men are faced with ruling a woman. Women just have to submit themselves, be subject to. That's all. I know what he wants me to do. I know what he wants a sandwich. Men get to say, I don't know what she wants me to do. And I have got to be not hitting her with a toaster oven. I can't be harsh. I have to love her. But dear heavens, she's operating on just a brain stem, I, I'm sure. But women are pretty confident that they're really sweet. And, uh, and like fathers who think their kids look up to them because they're fathers, you know. Or, or kids think that, well, of course, you've got to love me, you've got to do things for me, you've got to buy me toys at Walmart, because I'm your kid. That's what kids do throwing a fit in the aisle of Walmart. They presume that their kidness is, means I receive toys from you, and I'm at Walmart, I'm in the toy section, well, you're not getting me a toy. We have all sorts of things. Says, I don't understand God's philosophy of the cosmos. What is fitting? What pleases him? If you don't like what Christianity offers, you go become a Buddhist. They could be really selfish. 
usually are, becomes something that just serves you, because that's what you're after. You want the Christian buildings and all the Christian cachet, but you want it to sound just like some kid in high school in 2019. Now, the last two instructions, verses 2 and 5 of chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Oh, there's that thanksgiving again. And pray for us also, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Now, the whole book has been this elevation of Jesus Christ. We're very pleased with the elevation of Jesus Christ. It, it, it waxes poetic and it waxes wonderful. There is a few instructions that were like, okay, Paul. But he comes back to this and says, you know, it's really about the mystery of Christ. Do you... Maybe if we were a little less connected to the cool buildings Christianity had, we wouldn't, as we became more liberal, desire to steer the, steal the buildings from Christianity. Would you know what Christianity is? He's, he's asking the saints to pray for him with thanksgiving that he'd be able to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, the mystery of Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. He tells you what it is in Ephesians. I think I mentioned it last week. Ephesians... Uh, chapter 3. You read this, verse, chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, at his, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostle, apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, he's going to tell you what it is. Remember, he wants them to be praying, thanking God, that it'd be an opportunity that this mystery, Colossians and Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Philemon are probably all written at the same time, the same imprisonment, so they track with a lot of the same content. So Paul's not thinking about some other mystery of Christ. He's in prison, he says, on account of which I'm in prison. That's why he's in prison in Rome, is because the Jews had a real problem with the mystery of Christ. Which is, that is, Ephesians 3.6, how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now the gospel is, you are saved by grace through faith, and Paul's going, the mystery is, this is for everybody. That's the mystery. And people who didn't believe in everybody religions have a real problem with it. And the Jews had a real problem. They caused riots and difficulties. They turned Paul in and they tried to get him killed. And the Romans took over the case and he ended up in prison in Rome. But he wants to have the saints praying together that they who understood what it was to be a Christian, what the wonder of this is, the mystery hidden for ages, is that faith was such a thing, that the gospel and faith was such a thing, that someone who was a hottentot could fall to their knees and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Maybe we'd have a 
better time than some of these instructions about our Christ, you know, fitting to Christ, pleasing to Christ, fearing Christ, um, if we had a right position of the gospel of Jesus Christ, understood what wonder it is. And you wouldn't sit there fidgeting going, you know, he didn't tell the Christian masters to let their slaves go. No, he didn't. I don't have any problem with the Christian master letting their slave go. I was sort of scratching my jaws for the friend of ours who sold Leslie the, the motorcycle. I'm going, hmm, why does he want to get rid of it? Why would he want to sell his motorcycle? He has a motorcycle. Why sell it? He wasn't getting another one. So it might be confusing to you. Why would you have a slave and sell it? Why would you let it go? What's the different world? I'm fine with no slavery at all, though I wouldn't mind a few. Or the same situation is going on. We have shifts in our cultural thinking. And maybe if we understood our religion and cared enough for our Christ, being ready at that point, because the second instruction, verse 5, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you want to answer everyone. Are you ready, I mean, if nothing else, not to make a defense for there is a God, or Jesus died for your sins. That's good. But you now know that St. Paul thinks these things are fitting in the Lord and pleads the Lord and operate in fear of the Lord, and you're serving the Lord Christ in all of these things. And I don't think you're called upon to start a fight about them. I would recommend you don't. But you are to be gracious. You ought to know how you ought to answer everyone, that we know that we follow Christ. Whatever Christ says, we're Christians. We're not moderns. We're not antiquarians either. We don't live old style. I wouldn't have a motorcycle if I did. There are horses, I believe, before us. All right. Now the rest of the book is him giving these greetings, telling people about Tychicus and Nasimus, Aristarchus, Mark, various Greetings. And I, I left it in here, one, because it make, I, can, I can claim validly that we got through the whole book of Colossians. But also at the bottom, you have a couple of things of interest. Down there in verse 16, see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. He tells them to read this letter in Laodicea and read the Laodicean letter. Ah, uh, there is no Laodicean letter that we have. So, if any of you can be an archaeologist, go find it. We'll have to reprint all the Bibles, but it'll be good. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord. How would you like that little bit? How would you like that little instruction, personal instruction at the end of a Bible book that for history, for every moment in the future. Oh, I saw this meme going around about 
uh, John beating Peter to the tomb and and they're having a little conversation. Well, no one will ever know, says Peter. Oh yes, they will, said John. And it quotes the passage where the disciple who was faster than Peter got to the tomb first. You, you, certain things are sort of, uh, wow. He's telling this guy to fulfill his ministry, which he's received from the Lord. We've been generally, I don't know if you received a ministry from the Lord, generally speaking though, here we have been told in this passage what's fitting, pleasing, which should be a holy terror to us, is our service to our God. Where are you with that? Where are you with his kingdom? Not the kingdom you're trying to arrange with your wife and your kids. Not the kingdom you're trying to arrange with your economic motivation. Whatever that enslavement is to your employment. You've been given a ministry to do the right thing the way Christ wants you to do it. You've received these instructions. See that you fulfill it. And, and remember, the, the, we have an adage here at the church, <coughs> or at least I do up in the pulpit. You should be thinking about how you're going to do it, not the situations in which you don't have to do it. Let's just grant that you can come up with some situations in which you don't have to do what you're told. But please, first, have a longer list and a more God-glorifying list about what all the circumstances where you are going to do it. All the circumstances where you husbands and fathers are going to love your children and love your wives and not be harsh. How many times, how many ways can I not be harsh with them? How many times can I be just to my employees? How many times can I obey my parents? Plan the obedience, plan to fulfill the ministry you've been given. Remember his fetters. Grace be to you. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We don't always like what we read. We sometimes feel that some things are archaic or different. Or how could we live this down? Or I just don't like them because I don't get to do what I want. Lord, teach us to be your servant. Rejoicing in the greatness of your gospel without which we would be damned eternally. Thank you, in your son's name, amen.